You're gonna need a bigger boat. Oh, what a day! What a lovely day! I'm having an old friend for dinner. You are a toy! She wouldn't even have a fly. You can't handle the truth! I'll be back. English motherfucker, do you speak it? Just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, swimming, swimming. Here again with our first ever bonus episode of Cinematic Blind Spots. Hopefully, the first of what will be many bonus episodes. Today, we thought it would be fun just to talk about our top five favorite movies of all time. Like, these are the movies that, if we had to be on a desert island with only five movies, these are the ones we would pick. So without any further ado, I'm Adam. And I'm Josh. And these are the Cinematic Blind Spot Top 5 lists. Josh, I'm going to let you go first. Alright, so coming in at number 5, I have a movie from 2005. Oh. Directed by David Cronenberg. Ooh. So this is A History of Violence. Oh, really? So it has a Rotten Tomato Critic score of 87%, audience score of 76%. Mm-hmm. Now, most people, you think David Cronenberg, you're going to think The Fly, you're going to think The Brew, Mm -hmm. maybe Scanner, something very horror. Right. This is not that. No, it's not. This is a much simple, this is a very simple story. Mm -hmm. It's about a small town man. He owns a diner in a very small town. These two bad dudes come in. They're they're bad criminals. Psychos. Yeah. I don't know if I'd say they're psychos. They're, well, they do kind of murder an innocent family at a hotel earlier. Well, I mean, they're they're just they're just really bad people. So yeah, I guess you could say that. Yeah. So they come in and they're trying to rob this place because they 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 want coffee and pie and the mm-hmm. place is already shut down. But they try to get violent and this main guy, just played by Vigo Mortensen, mm-hmm. he uh he does this thing. He 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 acts. Which you would hope anybody would do, but the way he does it, you could tell he's done this before, it mm-hmm. seems like. like he, it does get violent here, because he smashes this guy's head with a coffee pot. Mm-hmm. And, and this puts him on the news, is what this right. does, because he, he does this heroic act. Mm-hmm. And that brings out Ed Harris's character. Right. I love Ed Harris. Yes. I think the first movie I ever saw him in was The Rock, and he was awesome in that movie. I think for some reason the first thing I saw him in was Milk Money with Melanie Griffith. <laughs> <laughs> I remember seeing the trailer for that one, but I never actually saw it. Oh, there was a great scene where the kids paid her money to show her booze, but the, we didn't get to see it as an audience, and I was upset. <laughs> but yeah, I don't want to go into too much detail. That's just the basic story, because when Ed Harris comes to find, he keeps claiming he knows Viggo Mortensen's character, Tom mm-hmm. Stahl. He's yeah, he saying keeps calling no. him Joey. Yeah, he keeps calling him Joey. Mm-hmm. And, and he's got a wife. He's got two kids. Mm-hmm. He's been living in this. He's in a small town of Indiana, I think mm-hmm. it is. And he's been living, whatever this life is, he's been living it for a long time. So. Right. So, definitely thriller territory. I, I'm surprised at how much, I've only seen that movie one time, and I'm surprised at how much I can remember of it. Like, it gets visceral. I think that, like, for, for a movie with gun violence in it, it is visceral gun violence. It's not just, like, squips, like, oh, there's fake blood. It's like, oh my gosh, there's chunks of that guy's chest cavity all over the place. Yes. <laughs> it's like, like, it gets really... Really graphic. So, number five, history of violence. What? Uh, well, you all, you already read the uh, the ratings and all that. Yeah. So, going on to number four. No, I was going to let you go. Oh, you're going to? Oh, okay. We go back and forth. Okay. 
My number five, I was going to say Mad Max Fury Road, because that's just one of the most amazing movies ever made. But I had to rethink it, and before I loved Mad Max Fury Road, I loved the 1994 action movie from Alex Proyas, director, The Crow. Brandon Lee's final film, sadly, one of the most tragic deaths I think I've ever heard of was being him dying yeah, on the yes. scene of this on the set of this movie. Supposed to be a blank. Supposed to have been a blank, and I, I, I've heard so many different stories of well. <laughs> I've heard that someone put a real bullet in one of the in one of the guns. I heard that something got lodged in the barrel of the gun and flew out and killed him or something. But um, sadly enough, died before the movie was finished. Died before it was not it was not around to see it come out. If you have not seen The Crow, it is the which sto- actually that's an eerie story itself because his dad his died. dad died under very mysterious mm-hmm. circumstances and too. he. He died before he got to see his movie come and or the mm-hmm. dragon cover come mm-hmm. out. So. Someone once someone told me that they speculated that it was like Chinese mafia who wanted him dead. Both oh. him, both Brandon and Bruce Lee. Wow. Okay. Don't know if that's true or not. I have no idea. Um so from the critics on Rotten Tomatoes, the crow has a score of eighty one percent. And from the audience has a score of ninety percent. And I'm siding with the audience on this one because I fucking love this movie i I love it too i I saw this movie not long after it came out on video well i saw it the first time in high school um and it's a story of a man who is murdered him he and his fiance are murdered on the night before their wedding by this gang of thugs and a year later he comes back to life he is brought back to life by the day before halloween the day before halloween he is brought back to life by this mysterious magical crow because they, they say, you know, when someone dies, a crow takes this person's spirit to the afterlife, but it's sometimes something so terrible happens that person's spirit cannot rest. A few years after this, did you watch, were you watching wrestling at all? No. Did you get to see Sting? I do did. The... I, I liked Sting. I remember Sting. And I, I remember. As the crow character? At, not yeah, as, as the... the crow character. Okay. I, I, I remember Sting when he had like the, the scorpion paint around his eyes, but then I remembered he came back looking like the crow. Um, and then the red version of him. I actually dressed up as him for Halloween one year. Oh, was the I, painted, I painted my own face and everything. <laughs> something, something you should look at is um, his Starcade entrance. Oh. From Starcade, I want to say it was 97. Starcade 97. I'll have yes. to make a note of that. Because they do that whole almost, I think it's almost verbatim, that monologue about the crow. Oh, really? Before he makes his entrance. Okay, that, yeah. So, um, so, hit, so the main character, Brandon Lee's character. Eric Draven. Is Eric Draven. And he is murdered, his fiance is murdered, but his soul cannot rest, so he is brought back to life with the power of the crow. And that power is basically invulnerability. And he comes back to life to wreak havoc on the gang, the gang and their leader who killed him and his girlfriend. And boy, oh boy, does he go to town on these guys. This, this was like the first movie I can remember seeing that I would qualify as a Vinge flick. It is all about revenge. And, you know, I was in high school when this came out. When I, when I, I was in high school when I saw this movie for the first time. I was not popular in high school. I did not have a good time of it. So a movie about a guy getting even with people kind of struck a chord with me. <laughs> <laughs> so for that reason... The Crow is my number five. It is a beautiful movie. It has such stark contrasts between the present, what is happening in the you know the dreary, 
downtrodden present versus the beautiful colors and vibrant colors of the of uh, flashbacks that he has of him and happier times with his fiance before she was before they were murdered. Just an all around fantastic movie. Some great acting from uh, from Ernie Hudson and yes. the supporting characters. Um, dang it, who was uh, who was T Bird? Um, the guy, David the Patrick Kelly. David Patrick Kelly. Thank you from the Warriors. Um, so, and, yeah. and his top dollar, Michael Wincott. Yes, and see, that's the thing. They never actually say his name in the movie. He is just in the credits as top dollar. They but don't say that? They, they never call him top dollar in the movie. And, um, I never realized that. Yeah. I've always known he's top dollar. Right? Yeah, he's, he's top dollar. Because in, in, the, in the original source material, the original graphic novel, yes, he is top dollar. Um, the graphic novel by J.O. Barr... Um, they, they keep talking about remaking this movie, and every time they do, I'm like, no, just don't do it. It's too, it, it's fine, don't remake it. Like when they said Jason Momoa might be right. him, I'm like, no, no, <laughs> I'm sorry. No. Anyway. Uh, the good thing about remakes, you always have the original. Always have the original, and that's what I will stick with. Thank you, because this movie, is being as amazing as it was, spawned three shit sequels. I mean, terrible sequels. I actually remember when City of Angels came out. I was so jealous because my two friends, because we were only like 12, 13 when it came out, Mm -hmm. and I wasn't allowed to go see it. My two friends got to go see it, and they came back and told me it was shit even then. It was shit. It was total shit. And the, the, uh, the third one was slightly better, but was still shit. And the fourth one, uh... I was trying to watch it on Netflix one night and I couldn't even make it past the opening credits before I was like, this is too stupid. I can't fucking watch this. This is terrible. So, number five, The Crow. Now, number four. Um, should we say it on three? One, two, three. The, the Dark, Dark Knight! <laughs> <laughs> yes, somehow we both managed to have the same number four. Christopher Nolan's 2008... Crime epic. I don't even want to call this a comic book movie because it's like a fucking crime masterpiece. Yes. The Dark Knight. Starring the Joker with special guest Batman. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody went to see that movie for Christian Bale. I'm sorry, Christian Bale. You're cool, but... Well, not after it came out. Not after it came out. Before that, though, remember, everybody was upset at the casting of Heath Ledger. Yeah. People hated that casting. I mean, I I don't think I had seen him in... I may have seen him in A Knight's Tale. I had seen him in The Patriot. The Patriot. Okay, yeah. The Patriot and A Knight's Tale. I had seen both of those. And I didn't even make the connection that he was the same person. Because he looks and sounds so different as the Joker. But then, like, the trailers started to come out, the teaser trailers, and you started to hear those great monologues, like, to them, you're just a freak. Well, it's funny, because I remember, you know, I follow a website, Joe Blow, and I remember them reporting back, set reports, Mm -hmm. saying that Heath Ledger was over on the set giving Oscar-worthy performances. Mm -hmm. So, even, they they said, based on his performance, it was uh, on the verge of getting an R rating, just of how he was acting oh in, on the set. Oh, God. If that movie had got an R rating, what would that have been like? I, mean, I don't know. It would have been amazing. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> um, so this movie has a Rotten Tomato critic and audience score of 94%. See, when the critic and the when the critics and the audience 100% agree, you know you've got a good movie on yes, your hands. Yes, I agree. Yeah, awesome. So... It has one of the best opening scenes oh. I've ever seen. I love that opening scene. See, 
I had actually got I actually had gotten to see that scene before I went to see the movie because my friend had bought the special Blu-ray edition of uh, Batman, Batman Begins. Begins. So whenever I got to I got and we watched that probably like four or five times back to back. Like we get to the end, like play it again, play it again, because just that that reveal, you know, I believe whatever doesn't kill you simply makes you stranger. I, I love it. Love it. That's so good. And. I just love how when it shows the building with all the windows, mm-hmm. your eye wants to automatically go to right in the middle, mm-hmm. but that's not the window that blows out. No, no, it's not. <laughs> I just love that because it's, it's a little thing, but I love it. Yeah. So, and so many great details in that movie. Um, just and, and really, Heath Ledger is what makes it all worth watching. Because really, a movie can only be as good as its villain most of the time, I find. You know how many times? How many times do you leave a movie? Or going, as well, uh, Harvey Dent says, you, you, li- you, die, you hero. die a hero or live long enough to see yourself <laughs> become, become the villain. villain. <laughs> yep. So I mean, how many times have you watched the movie and then like afterwards you're like, oh, that bad guy was so cool. Yes. Like you know, once a uh, um, not once upon a time, but, uh, uh, No Country for Old Men. Javier Bardem was terrifying in that movie, and like. So yeah, this is Heath Ledger. Before you know, I, I grew up on Star Wars, so I always thought Darth Vader was the best bad guy ever. Not anymore. I mean, ever since, ever since I saw The Dark Knight for the first time, and you, 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 you listening can't see this, but I have a picture on my wall of Heath Ledger's Joker that says, "Why so serious? Why so why serious? So serious? You know how I got these scars? <laughs> I love that. He, I love the fact that every time he tells so, us, it's a different story. I think they were trying to go with like he is just so insane he doesn't even remember his own origin story. Now I will say. I am very excited about the upcoming Joker movie with Joaquin Phoenix. It's going to be completely different. It's going to be completely so. different, but it still looks awesome. And it's going to get an R rating. It has an R rating. It has an R rating. So, yes. Heath Ledger has left some huge shoes to fill. I'm hoping Joaquin Phoenix can do a somewhat decent job because Jay... Uh, um, oh, shit. Jared, Jared Leto. Leto. <laughs> I almost said Jay Leno. <laughs> That'd be interesting. I can take. imagine a Jay Leno Joker. That'd be hilarious. Um, but yeah, Jared Leto. I'm sorry. I feel like he was trying a little too hard in Suicide Squad. Yeah, he was like my least favorite part of that movie. I can't get over Jay Leno as the Joker. Yeah. <laughs> Wonder how I got these scars, guys. <laughs> yes. Now, I want that now. Yeah. Now, now just in a short parody. A short I don't need no. Parody. I want it long form. Yeah. Just a little short video he puts out, like yeah, a three like, minute clip. Like like someone who's typing up the the font for Suicide Squad instead of typing Jared Leto accidentally types Jay Leno and all of a sudden Jay Leno is the Joker. <laughs> okay. Well, now so move on to number. Moving three. on to number three. What is your number three, Josh? I have a film from 2013. Directed by the the awesome Martin Scorsese. This Ooh. is The Wolf of Wall Street. Right. I remember it was at the end of the year. I had a free ticket that I needed to burn. I was like, well, Scorsese movie's out. Let me go see it. And he took me on this trip. And I mean, it's drug-filled. Like, I felt drained coming out of the theater <laughs> just watch, just experiencing this film. Yes. I felt like I had been through the stuff. Yes. Um... I wasn't as big a fan of that movie as you were. That's you know not my favorite Scorsese film. I still think that's uh, Goodfellas, but Leo did such an amazing job in that movie. But he made to me he made the character so hateable. Like I I, I have a hard time 
when I have a hard time when a movie focuses on a character that's just an asshole. Like he's just an asshole for the entire movie, basically. And then it's like, watch this asshole get rich. And in the end of the movie, he's like, yeah, I'm in jail. So what? But I'm still rich, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like one of his lines early in the movie, I love it. He's like, I made $49 million last year, which fucking pisses me off because it's three million short of a million a week. Jeez, cannot imagine that kind of money. Hard life there, bud. Yeah, really hard life. Uh, again, uh, there, there, there. We're mentioning it again. There's that uh, Margot Robbie again. Yep. That was the first movie I ever saw her in. Oh yeah, me too. And there was none of that. Oh, I wonder what she looks like naked. That's what she looks like naked. Oh, okay, unless that was a body double. No, nah, I'm pretty sure that was her. As Leo found uh, eleven seconds later. Yeah, eleven that's all, seconds. That's all, that's all he lasted mm-hmm. for that first time. Yep. All right, Wolf of Wall Street. For oh, that has three. a Rotten Tomato critic score of 79% and an audience score of 82%. Really? I thought the critics would have liked that movie better. I thought so, too. I was actually surprised at that myself. I, was I like, think oh. that that was really, I mean, Leo Leo has done so many Oscar-worthy performances, but that one, I think he, again, got snubbed. He, he, he should have gotten at least a nomination for that one. I honestly think when The Revenant came out and they're like, okay... We gotta give Leo an Oscar before he gets himself killed. <laughs> yeah, it's more of a lifetime achievement. <laughs> yeah, like award. a lifetime achievement award. Okay, my number three comes from 1993. Has a critic and a audience score of 91 percent. And that movie is Jurassic Park. I remember wanting to see this movie so bad. Let's see, so it was 93, I was seven years old, wanting to see it so bad, and my parents were like, um... So one one summer while, while my sister and I were, one week while, while we were at Grandma's house, Mom and Dad went to go see it without us to see if we could see it. And I'll never forget my dad looking me in the face and saying, so we went to go see uh, Jurassic Park. And I was like, really? And he says, and guess what? You can't see it till you're 16. Oh, and no. He, he was joking when he said it, but he's like so he's like so much. Your balloon was deflated. Yeah, my balloon was very much deflated. Like, there's so <laughs> much, you know, scary stuff. So many jump scares. He's like, they, he told me they walked out of the theater, and as they walked past this car, someone just flung their car door open and scared the shit out of my dad, apparently. But, uh, no, we did go to go see it in theaters, and we... So the whole family, me, mom and dad, my sister, we all went to go see it. My sister and I had our jackets because it was like wintertime when we got to see it. We, we went to the uh, to the dollar movies to see our movies. And that was after they left the big theater. Right, right. So it was later than, than it actually was. Yeah, I remember and we those. had our jackets and there were... There were there were certain times in the movies where our mom and, da- mom and dad were like, cover your head, cover your eyes, cover your eyes. You don't want to see what's coming next. <laughs> so I But I did get to see it in theaters. And that just spawned such a love of dinosaurs for me i had so many of the jurassic park toys and stuff when i was a kid i had so i had friends who loved jurassic park it's just i don't know like the 90s were a big time for dinosaurs for some reason because you had movies like uh carnosaur you remember the carnosaur series i never saw any of them but that's that's another one i remember seeing at the video oh and don't worry we got one coming it'll probably be next year but it's gonna be the gore cut of tammy and the t-rex Oh. Starring a young Denise Richards and Paul Walker. Oh my god, really? 
Yes. <laughs> Once that gets that. released by Vinegar Syndrome, I'm snatching it up and we're putting it on the list to watch. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> All right, so what are we on now? Number two? <laughs> yes. Your number two, Josh. Number two comes a movie from 1994 with a Rotten Tomato critic score of 90% and the audience is at 98% on this one. Wow. Directed by Frank Darabont, who is known for adapting Stephen King stories. And this is the Shawshank Redemption. I mean, it's one of the best prison breaks movies out there, in my opinion. Obviously, I got number two on my list, so Mm -hmm. I love it. I I had not I did not actually get around to seeing that movie until I was like 21, 22, I think. I was in college because I remember one of my my professors talking about it. Um, I had never seen it. I didn't even until you told me. I don't think I even knew that it was based on a Stephen King novella or short story. Right. and God Almighty, just so many great performances from Morgan Freeman, um, from uh, Tim Robbins, just the the yeah, you got Bob Gunton as the warden, mm-hmm. Clancy Brown, Clancy Brown. I remember seeing that the first time watching that and seeing that name pop up and be like, Mister Krabs. <laughs> so I think I actually saw this probably around the same time as you. I did not come to this movie early. Really? Okay. I don't know if it was the name, the Shawshank Redemption. I didn't mm-hmm. know what that was. Yeah, I didn't know what it was either. I, I didn't see this probably. It's definitely been within the last 15 years. Okay. I, this is not one from my early days that, okay. I, that t- held up. Because um, <laughs> I remember the name because of that scene from Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls. Remember that when, when he says the name of the sacred bat, Shikaka? Shikaka? Chicago, I think was the name. And like he starts like playing Simon Says with the guy because every time he says it, the guy takes a knee and like bows down. And he's like, shish kebab. And, yep. like, and then he goes, Shawshank Redemption. And I was like, okay, I guess that's something. <laughs> but yeah, Shawshank Redemption, such a good movie. Just like the ultimate fuck you to yes. to the to the prison warden. Yes. I love, I, I'm not going to spoil it in case anybody hasn't seen it, but it's such a brilliant story and just oh my god if you want to hear mr krabs drop the f-bomb <laughs> and be very violent and be very violent he is like horrifying in this movie yeah and he has this line it's like the best use it's the best insult i think i've ever heard with motherfucker in it he calls this guy a maggot dick motherfucker yep That's i right. love that line if i ever meet clancy brown i'm gonna be like could you say maggot dick motherfucker in your mr krabs voice <laughs> <laughs> All right, so my number two is a 1975 masterpiece with a critic rating of 98% and an audience rating of 90%. This movie was the first ever summer blockbuster. This is what created the what blo- term created block, the term block because at that time. The movies that came out in the summer were the ones that nobody gave a shit about. Nobody thought and, was going to do anything. And also, this is what pretty much spawned movies starting to come to some kind of video, like beta or whatever it was mm-hmm. back then. Yeah. Because movies didn't come out. You had to see them in theaters. We are talking about Steven Spielberg's magnum opus, in my opinion. Well, maybe not magnum <laughs> opus, but one of his best, one of my, my number two all-time favorite movie, Jaws. Another thing I loved, I don't know where I developed this love, was sharks. Still love sharks. Sharks and dinosaurs. Sharks and dinosaurs. On my bucket list, I have cage dive with a great white shark. That is one of the things I have to do before I die. Um, And this movie, (laughs) 
it spawned, I don't know if it spawned the shark movie genre. Um, I, I'm not sure what movies might have come out before Jaws, but this was the first one that really, really knocked people's socks off. Um, with, I, like, I, I know a lot of people watch it nowadays like, oh, the special effects are dated. I'm like, yeah, they were, but you got to think about it through 1975 eyes. You know, to have to have a mechanical shark like that, that for the most part of the production did not work. Right. They had so many mechanical problems with that shark. Yeah, I think and this then, is one I need to go back and revisit. We can do that. <clears throat> um, and what's so great about this movie is it's not just about killing a shark. It's about the characters, too. The characters in the movie. You have Roy Scheider as Chief Brody. You have um, Richard Dreyfus as Matt Hooper. And you have, oh, that's um, Quint. Oh. Robert Shaw. Robert Shaw, thank you. Thank you. I was going to have to look it up for a second. Um, just some really great characters and great character interactions. Great story. And then there's a, sh- and then there's a killer shark. Like you have... Bruce. Bruce yeah, Bruce, <laughs> the killer shark. That was the name of the mechanical shark on the set was Bruce. Which I can't help but wonder if Finding Nemo didn't rip that off. That had to have been what that was because the shark's yeah. name was Bruce. Yeah. Um, I think it's an homage, not a ripoff. It might be and an homage. Yeah, not a difference. ripoff, but definitely an homage. Yes, an homage. There's not a ripoff. So, that is number two, which brings us to number one. I think I know what your number one is, Josh, but would you please tell the listeners? This is a movie from 1991, directed by Jonathan Demme. It has a Rotten Tomato score of 96%, an audience score of 95%. So very close. Mm-hmm. It stars Anthony Hopkins, Jodie Foster, Ted Levine. This is The Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> <laughs> that was Adam. That was Drink, very... Drinking Chianti with, <laughs> with some liver. fava beans and, and a nice Chianti. Chianti. Yes. I just don't like liver, though. I've never liked liver. <laughs> You've never had human never liver. Had human liver. <laughs> so um, there's your turning point. Okay. So well. I'm gonna tell you the story of how I first saw this movie. Yes, please do. This was a Sunday afternoon. This movie was on TV. I was probably twelve, mm-hmm. and my mom was. This was after church. Oh dear. It's like four o'clock in the afternoon. And my mom's like, Silence of the Lambs, I haven't seen that in a while. Let's watch it. So I just sit there and watch it with her. And then she ends up having to go to the night service at church. I didn't go to that. She was in the chorus. I didn't mm-hmm. go to that one. She's like, record this for me. I want to finish it. But I was so into it. I just kept on watching it. And I've been in love with this movie ever since. Wow. Like, I went out and picked up the book for this movie. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, I wasn't a big reader. I read Goosebumps and stuff. Right. But I wasn't a big reader back then. This was your first big boy Yeah. <laughs> yes. And, and I love that. And that is my favorite book. To this day. I mean, it go hand in hand. I have the book. I just haven't read it yet. Um, But, yeah. One of the most iconic villains of all time. He's not even really the villain. He's just a crazy guy in the movie. Because, I mean, Buffalo Bill's the bad guy. Right. um, But Anthony Hopkins does a chilling performance. Anybody who's seen this movie knows. Of Hannibal Lecter. Hannibal the Cannibal. Yes. Very famous for only having like 16 minutes of yeah. screen time. I mean, yeah, like he's he not is, on. He's like the main focus of the movie, according to most people. But yeah, he's, he's got like less than 15 minutes of screen time. It's incredible. 
And I mean, he won the Oscar. Jodie Foster won the Oscar. Didn't it win? Director won the Oscar. Didn't it win Best Picture? It won Best Picture and it won Best Screenplay. So that is what you consider the big five. Yes, Yes. just unbelievable. Um, The only other movie to do that was One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Really? Yes. I'm gonna have to go back and watch that one again. I don't think I ever watched the whole thing. Yeah, Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson. Whoever that woman that played Christopher Lloyd. I know Christopher Lloyd was in it. so, yeah, that is a hell of a number one. So, my number one came to us in the year of 1998 with a critic score of 93% and an audience score of 95%. In case you haven't noticed, my top three have a little uh, pattern going here. They're all Steven Spielberg movies. I don't know how that happened or if it's... Just, I, I, it, those are just my three favorite movies and they, all, they were all done by Steven Spielberg. Number one, my number one, is Saving Private Ryan. Um, now you should know this about me. My dad was in the military. Um, so I was raised with a certain amount of respect for anyone who has served our country, whether, you know, whatever branch, branch that was in, whether it was Coast Guard or Army, and whatever Force, job they did, whatever job they did, that was like the ultimate selflessness, which I mean, I know, yeah, it's not, all, they're not all perfect. There are plenty of horrible things that. Have happened, but this movie is the most realistic depiction of war. Period. I think my dad actually let me watch this movie when I was thirteen. This may have been my first R-rated movie because of the subject matter. Because of the subject matter, he wanted me to see as as close as I could to what they experienced. Because you got to think, you know, the characters in that you know real real life. My my grandpa was. In World War II, he was the ship he was on was sunk by a kamikaze pilot before he was old enough to drink. He <laughs> saw some serious shit. And you can't imagine like what, what seeing something like that does to a person. But this movie, it is very character-driven. You know, you, it has one of the most amazing opening scenes in a movie ever. That think, is what stands out to me, is that opening scene. Yeah, that scene. opening scene, the D-Day invasion. I can't remember how many months or it took them to shoot that. But um, it is very character-driven. This was the first movie I saw Giovanni Ribisi in. This was the first movie I saw Tom Sizemore in. This was the first movie I saw Vin Diesel in. What about Matt Damon? The first movie I saw Matt Damon in. I, the only, about the only person I knew going into this movie was Tom Hanks. That was because you know I'd seen from? Big. Big? Yeah. That was, I was going to say, that was my first movie I'd yeah, seen. Yeah, my first in. Tom Hanks movie was Big. Um, but no, just such an amazing story of... Because it's based on a true story. I mean, because like so many stories, like so many crazy stories through uh, World War II, like so many of them have to be based in in reality and something that really happened. But um, such a story of selfless sacrifice for someone just to help this guy get home. You know, this, you got this. This got this tight knit squad of soldiers, guys who have been fighting together for a long time, know each other very well. Get this mission. To bring home Matt Damon's character, Private Ryan. Because all of his remaining brothers have been killed in action. And a, this was a thing, apparently. He got a free ticket home. Just, to, just the, the government would actually do that to help continue your bloodline. Like, if you were the last remaining male, you didn't have to go. And if and you could be brought home because of that. Um, this was also the first movie I saw Nathan Fillion in. <laughs> <laughs> he has a small there's a lot of cameos in this movie you've got ted danson you've got um dennis farina 
Mm. You've got Paul Giamatti. Wow. Got a lot of. Yeah, I'd probably recognize a lot of people if I went back and revisited. You this probably movie. would. Um, so yeah, that, that, this is one of those movies that you go back and you're like, oh hey, I know that guy. So yeah, when I finally saw uh, when I, last most, one of the most recent times I watched that I recognized Nathan Fillion. I'll tell you the first time I saw this movie, mm-hmm. I was at my dad's. And my uncle had bought a 65-inch, and this was the big box TVs. These were no flat oh, screens yet. Oh, these were the projection and, screens. And me TVs. and my cousin were just sitting at the computer, and he decides to fire up Saving Private Ryan. I had no idea. He has he has a sound system and everything. And that first explosion goes off. Boom! Mm-hmm. And I, I grab my cousin. I'm like, get to the ground! <laughs> <laughs> Something's happening! I mean, I was terrified. Because I didn't oh, know what it was. jeez. Yeah, that must have been scary. But yeah, that I mean, my dad has been telling my grandpa for years that he needs to watch this movie, but he just can't. Can't do it. It's it's too real. Too real. So, if anything, this movie should give you an appreciation for you know, like if when you get done watching this movie, it should make you go out and want to find a veteran and say thank you. Doesn't matter what you know. Just it it it. It's the closest you ever want to get to the hell that they went through. I'll agree with that. So that is why Saving Private Ryan is my number one favorite. So with that, Adam, would you say Steven Spielberg is your favorite director considering he's got your top three spots? I guess so. Um, Yeah, because I mean, you think about how many iconic movies he's done over the years. E.T., Jaws, Jurassic Park, uh, just all these fantastic movies. Yeah, I guess he would be my favorite director. What about you? Who would you say? I'm not sure. I'd have to. Really... You don't. You don't have as much of a pattern in your top no, five. No, no. My I top do. five are five different directors, so <laughs> I, I can't link any of them. And probably my favorite director would probably be someone like Tarantino, who's not even in my top five just because yeah. of his overall body of work. Yeah. And my, I don't. I'd have to really think about that one. Yeah. That might be a discussion for a different episode. But in conclusion, for Adam's top three movies, sharks and dinosaurs go to war. <laughs> That sounds epic. That sounds like something from the Sci-Fi Channel. That's a Sci-Fi original. Sci-Fi original waiting to happen. Sharknado. Sharknado versus... Yeah. Giant dinosaur some shit. In World War II. In World War II, yes. It sounds like something they would do. Oh my God, don't give them any ideas. They're going to steal our ideas and make a million dollars off of it. Make billions off of those movies. So... That is our top five. If you guys have made it to the end, we greatly appreciate you listening. If you would like to let us know what your top five are, please do. Give us a like. Give us a subscribe. Follow us on Instagram. We're also on Facebook. We're still trying to figure Mm. out Twitter. It's not going very well. (laughs) But we're there. But we're there. You can find us. You can find us at Cinematic Blind Spots. But until next time, I'm Adam. And I'm Josh. And whether you're in your car or in the theater, always check your blind spots.